Hello and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Let's get stuck in. Hello everybody and welcome to another special edition of the Rams Review Podcast. Today with me is Corey as always. Corey, hello. Jason, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Rams TV's own Owen Bradley. Owen, it's great to be uh, be here with you. Yeah, evening guys. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem at all. Um, so, we've obviously got a nice list of questions for you that we'd like to discuss. Um, started out as obviously as a BBC Radio Derby journalist, or certainly covering that kind of thing. Um, and then, obviously, you, you transition into the Rams TV. Um, was it always your thought process to go into obviously i'm presuming journalism but was sport always the one thing that that ticked the box for you yeah sort of yeah so i think from from when i was sort of 13 14 i think um itv central came and did like uh like a day at my school um i think i wanted to be a cameraman first um which is ironic because as any of the guys at ram city will tell you now technically I haven't got a clue about anything. Um, but I think I wanted to be a cameraman first, and that sort of evolved a little bit because when I was at uh, when I was at secondary school in sixth form, my drama teacher's husband was a sports journalist called John Rawling, who does boxing athletics, um, notably outstanding broadcaster. Um, and so I got sort of a little bit of advice from him via my drama teacher. So... I knew I wanted to be a sports journalist. I thought I wanted to be a writer more than anything. Um, but I went to uni and did politics because that's sort of my other passion. And that's like a good degree to do, to give you a, a, a grounding in lots of different things. So if the, the sports journalism, journalism didn't work out, I could use it to do something different. So I uh, went to uni very much with the intention of, I want to become a sports journalist at some point down the line. Um, I did student newspaper, student radio um, while I was there. Um, but it, uh, but even coming out of uni, I thought really writing was probably the route that I wanted to go down. And actually, uh, I was really lucky at uni to be um, on the shoot newspaper with a lot of brilliant writers. Chap called Laurie Whitwell was my editor, who's now the Manchester United reporter for The Athletic. Uh, Daft Pritchard, um, who's uh, an award-winning journalist at BBC Sport in Wales, notably. Um, and a chap called Stephen Jones, who's, who's a good friend who works for the Press Association. So I worked with some good people. But then I got the first sort of break I got was at Radio Derby, and that was as a as a as trainee reporter. So that's where I first met Colin Gibson, um, and we sort of bonded on the, you know, the first day we met. I think we we both sort of knew from the first afternoon. We sh- we shared a, a train journey down to Bristol, um, and I think we both sort of just sort of clicked basically. And from then, from that summer, radio and broadcasting was was the passion, and I'd done a lot of like. I did a lot of um, musical theatre, amateur dramatics and stuff. So I've always sort of liked an audience. Um, so it sort of makes sense that, that broadcasting would be the route that I went into. So, yeah, got in, got in at Radio Derby and then a bit of ice hockey in Nottingham and, and that was a great opportunity. And, and then here we are, I suppose. I mean, obviously, th- there is a different... I uh, don't want to jump the gun in d- d- just what you were... was started at but obviously um rams tv was probably not even trying to think that it was definitely in its infancy if anything when you was at B- when you was doing the uh, the commentary and stuff um how did that c- come about um, cause obviously colin went 
Um, and I suppose you took the mantle with that in some respects at BBC Radio Derby. And then um, obviously you, you took that path yourself. Yeah, there, there was a bit of an overlap. So, um, sorry, the dog just, dog just come in. Um, <laughs> um, there was a bit of an overlap, I suppose. So I was, it's funny how these things work out. I mean, if you want the full story of it all, um, it's funny how these things work out in the sense of, especially at the BBC a lot of the time, you can have a commentary team and you can have members of staff that are in the jobs for a long, long time. If you, if you look around at local radio, you will often find a commentator or a presenter who's been there 20 years, 25 years, this sort of thing. You, you think about how long Graham Richards was there, how long, how long Colin Gibson was there, how long Gibbo was there. But if you look around local radio stations, you find the same sort of thing. So, and you find it across the BBC actually. Um, so I remember being, I was sort of the, the desk driver, sort of producer of sports scenes. So I was the guy who would sit in the studio and I would push all the buttons. Um, and, I, and I loved it. It was a great job. And if you want to get into radio, um, doing that job is one of the best jobs you can do because you learn how to do everything. And again, ironically, now I haven't got a clue technically, but then I knew how everything worked uh, in the radio station. I was like the go-to guy. Um, and, and that was sort of how I stuck around to begin with really because I was useful so I was there all the time and uh, all right this is right where's Owen he'll fix it sort of thing so I was doing that and I was getting the odd on-air opportunity a little bit presenting a little bit of commentary but I was getting quite frustrated Um, so I'd sort of decided that I was going to have to I was going to have to go freelance if I wanted to get more on more on-air opportunities and I wanted to be on air Um, but I had a, a contract at Radio Derby in the newsroom. So I was working as a, as a news reporter. And so I, th- I think the timing of it was when I did my last show as, as producer, as desk driver, sort of I knew it was going to be my last show. Um, and Gibbo knew that it was going to be his last show because he'd taken redundancy. But nobody else knew that. Mm. There wasn't really any, any fanfare. Um, and then obviously, of course, it got announced a little bit later. But then I went, but then Ed Dawes took over as presenter. Colin Bloomfield was still commentator. And then I, I left and I started covering Mansfield for BBC Radio Nottingham at the weekends because I was doing the ice hockey for them as well. So I had this sort of four-month period where I, was, where I was not really covering Derby at the weekends at all. I was still sometimes doing press conferences and bits like that in the week, but I wasn't covering them at all. And then I think... Bloomers, um, God rest him, I think he sort of felt like he'd come to the end of his journey, especially with Gibbo leaving. I think he felt like it was maybe time to move on. So he went off to a job in London, wasn't there very long and came back as as, radio, as the breakfast show presenter. Uh, and that meant all of a sudden there was an opening on the sports scene. So in the January, having in the May thought, that's it, I'm not going to work on this program again. Suddenly in, in the January, I was back as presenter. Um, and that was sort of how that happened. And then, yeah, I did that for however many years I did it. The Rams TV thing was a little bit random because because um, Gibbo didn't cover Derby for a while because he was off. I mean, he was doing stuff for Radio Stoke. He was freelancing. He was so he's presenting from the Emirates and for Premier League games and stuff. He was reading the sport amusingly on BBC Radio Nottingham from time to time. Uh, which I'm sure went down very well for everybody. Mm. Uh, and then he got a call out of nowhere. So he went into Derby as sort of 
uh, lead senior communications officer sort of type job because um, they needed somebody who knew the club and knew the history and knew the media, just needed a bit of expertise really. And, and Gibbo is, you know, he's still an idol and he's still yeah. a mentor. He's still a great friend. Um, so I know this is going on a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, so he, Rams TV sort of started. And then I remember I got, I got a phone call from the then head of media, uh, sort of communications director, a guy called Paul Tyrrell, saying, can I come to the stadium? And I immediately assumed that I'd said something or done something to annoy the club and that I was going to get a ticking off because it, it happens from time to time. You, you sort of, you'd get a call or you'd get asked to come in for a conversation and they'd say, oh, you said this? And it'd be like, well, yeah, because it's true and they won't be happy and we'd sort of agree to disagree and all move on. So I go to this meeting expecting to get, you know, a bit of a telling off and they went, you want to offer you a job? And that was, that was where it came from, really. So it wasn't anything that I petitioned for, applied for, anything like that. They just came to me and said, do you want the job? And it, as much as I loved the BBC and still do and love that job and love the team, it was the right time for me to move on and do something different. So it, it couldn't have come at a better time. And, and I don't regret it for a second. So, Owen, how do you... Obviously, there's differences between working for BBC Radio Derby, where you can be a little bit more critical and you can you know you have to do your you, you due diligence and then you're working on the internal side now for rams tv where the things you can say and the things you can't say and everything like that so what's the differences between that and then how do you as a commentator when you when you're balancing this yeah or how do you remain fair in a commentary and, and, and unbiased and but still give the audience a learned approach to the game yeah it's an interesting one i mean I mean, suppose the biggest thing that I'd say is that television commentary is very different to radio commentary. So uh, I'm not having to describe everything. So let, let, let's say maybe somebody makes a, an error. I don't need to describe that the way that I would on the radio. So I can sort of get away with saying nothing a little bit. Um, so you can sometimes dodge it. But, but more generally speaking, and I suppose it comes into it more a little bit when I'm interviewing or when I'm talking to pundits and stuff like that, I would always argue I've never, I've not really changed what I ask. I've maybe changed how I ask it a little bit. I'll maybe change how I frame a discussion a little bit, but really I'll ask the same sort of questions. I mean, the things I won't, there are things that I won't do. Um, I mean, I'm obviously never, I'm obviously never going to call for a manager to go and I'm not, I'm probably not going to read out those sorts of comments. Um, but actually, I wouldn't always do that when I was at Radio Derby anyway, because I, you always need to actually offer and reflect what the listeners and the supporters are saying. You almost have to chop off the two extremes and serve the people in the middle a little bit. So I would argue I've not changed all that much. Um, some people would disagree, um, and that's fine. Um, but I think, I think actually, if you compare what we say and and what we allow people to say on our programs at Rams TV. I don't think you'll find any other club that gives their fans the platform to say that sort of thing. Um, and don't want, and, and I mean, when I was offered, when they asked me to come on board, they sort of said, we want this to be like an external coverage of the club. Um, I don't think for one second that the club are always happy about what we say. They're not, but there is an appreciation that if we are trying to, offer the service that we are trying to offer that sometimes things might be a little bit uncomfortable um it's still better for everybody when the club win 
Um, and that's what we want. I, I mean, we're, we're not going to cheerlead, um, but I didn't cheerlead when I was at Renier Derby either. So um, it, it's a tricky one for sure. But I, I would always argue that I've not really changed a lot. And actually, there were people that when I was at Renier Derby that said, oh, say what you really think. He can't say what he really thinks because he's got to suck up to the club or whatever. And I still get that sort of criticism now. And that's fine. And it's all wrong. But, you know, I'm a big boy. I can take it. So, you know, when we see what match day is like for the fans and we see what match day is like for the players, they come in a bus, they, they whatever, you know, I, Jason and myself, we show up when we come to prior to the game and watch and warm up. So what's a match day experience like, like for you? And then how much research goes into the commentary that you do? Uh, well, a match day for me is, is, is bonkers now, particularly now that I've taken over the first team commentary. So first what year and a half I was doing it, I didn't really do first team comms. So my match day was a bit was much more relaxed. Um, now, like I like I really get worked uh, on the match day. So I mean, I'll, pr- I'll probably spend a day, day and a half during the week re- researching a commentary. Um, obviously, stats and storylines and that sort of thing. Um, I use like a sticker system, uh, which is every commentator will prepare differently and do it differently. Some like to use a book. Some will use big boards. Like Arlo White's a guy who you know you see his stuff. He puts it on Instagram. It's fascinating. Um, I use like stickers because I like the visualization of being able to put them in a formation at least at the start of a game. It's just helpful. Um, I mean, for Derby, it doesn't really matter. You learn the players so well. But for, if you're if it's an opposition team you don't know that well, it's just helpful sometimes in the first couple of minutes of the game. Okay. The, the right back position I'm not into I can't really see who it is but I'm pretty sure it's that and oh the right back is this guy okay that makes sense so it just helps you a little bit so my match day now is I'll turn up I mean this is obviously pre-covid um but I would turn if it's a home game turn up about half 11 we would do our pre-match show at 12 for sort of 15-20 minutes I'll then spend the next what hour and a bit sort of fine-tuning my notes and getting stuff ready um i'll try and eat something at some point as well try and just check in with the team and chat to people i'll always try and get down to the press room just to say hello and it's important to sort of maintain those connections with people down there and you might find that stuff that you didn't know you might find that things that are useful for your commentary we'll get the team news maybe 15 minutes before it's out so i can get ahead a little bit with with my final prep um because from when the team news comes out to kick off for for a commentator that that bit of time is really important and I don't have half of it because I'm on air presenting. So sort of at 20 past two, I'll head up to the gantry. Half two will go live. It's generally me and Shane Shea Nicholson, who's a terrific co-commentator, who works really hard actually on his notes as well. Um, so at half two, we go live. We go straight into the commentary. I'll host half time. We go full time, wrap up pretty quickly, and then it's back down to the studio. Um, and then we do our post game show on Facebook from sort of half five till six. Uh, if it's winter, there's generally a couple of costume changes in there as well. Cause what I'm wearing in the studio, I don't really be wearing on the gantry cause I'll freeze to death. So, um, yeah, generally by about quarter past six when I get in the car, I'm absolutely exhausted. One of the things, um, you say there, obviously the team sheet, um, based as a, as a fan, obviously you, most of the time around two o'clock just arriving at the ground from our various supporters branches and things like that and obviously the team sheet hits 
has there been obviously I, I don't know if you're a Derby County fan but obviously as you follow them you, there must be a passion there at some point um, certainly us as fans we can uh, time to time look at a team sheet and go oh dear is there, is there yeah. any point I appreciate you wouldn't never probably say it on camera but is there ever a point where you look at the game and you think oh I don't know uh, I don't know what the manager's done there <laughs> yeah there have been times there have certainly been times I am a, I am a Derby fan by the way but I sort of mm. take pride in the fact that people don't automatically know that mm. um, so, so I appreciate I can talk a little bit, a bit about that if you want but um yeah, there's been, there's been once or twice. I mean, it's usually, I, I think people think, because I'm on the inside, I know everything, um, and I absolutely don't. So, um, so I mean, for example, when, when Wayne Rooney made his debut and was captain, I mean, that completely blindsided all of us in the gallery. We had no idea. I mean, a brilliantly kept secret. Great move from the manager, obviously. And actually, when you think about it, it's sort of an obvious move to do but nobody expected it so that's just an example of something where it can catch you out I mean look if you want an example that the one that I think every Derby fan will agree with is is the selection at Wembley last season um but and even without even saying what who I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about yeah but I can understand where I can understand the thinking for that um but it was a surprise um, so, so yeah, of course it's, I'm like anybody, I might think the wind's blowing this way and the manager might think this way. Um, but what I will say is we get so obsessed and I appreciate whenever I say something like this, that I am part of the media. This is, a, this is my fault, but we get so obsessed with like dissecting the team. Use. I know this drives Steve Nicholson mad as well. Like we will, we'll dissect the team using this selection and that section, blah, blah, blah. And I think sometimes we go a little bit over the top with it. And then I include myself in that because we will spend 15 minutes going, oh, Shane, what about this play? What about this decision? Blah, 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 blah. But I do think we get a little bit carried away with it. I think the thing is, obviously, it, it is nat- naturally, it's a team game. Um, of course, yeah. there are always one or two surprises. I mean, take it to, I think it was the last game before, obviously, the lockdown when Rooney wasn't in the side at home against Blackburn and everybody was like, oh, here we go. Is is Here we're going to prove if Derby have got any metal without him. And, Clearly, probably one of the best performances, if not the best performance of the season. So, um, yeah. whilst it does, like you say, it raises eyebrows sometimes, but the manager knows what he's doing, clearly. Yeah, of course it does. And, and sometimes decisions like that are forced on a manager. And sometimes there are just things we don't know about and will never know about um, that might be a reason that a player's not involved. And sometimes it's not our place to know, and that's fine as well. Um, but yeah, I think we just, I think, but I understand, like, I've been there, I've been, I've been a fan. I remember parking in Chad and we walk over the bridge and I'd be with my dad and the team music come through and we'd go, what the hell's, what the hell's that about? Like, so I've been, I, under, I totally understand the emotion, but it is so emotional now. I think especially with social media that we can just all get a bit carried away with it. How much, how much time then, Owen, you know, obviously you're doing, you're, you're doing these various different things for Rams TV in the week. How much time do you spend with, in and around the the first team and the squad and everything at, at Moore Farm, like, do you go and watch them train, or is it just you doing your other bits and bobs, and then you kind of just catch up every night with with whatever, and then you do your commentary at the weekend? Yeah, I think I think probably again another big misconception is that like I spend a lot of time with the players and the manager and and that sort of thing. Um, I've watched probably snatches of training, but not much. 
Um, I think the only time I've ever really stood and watched a full training session was back when Nigel Clough was manager and I was still working for BBC Radio Derby and it was this, obviously the summer before he was sacked in the October and Steve McLaren came in and it was a training session where they were working on a back three with Jake Buxton, uh, Richard Keogh and John Eustace in the middle um, and that was, that was a pre-season session and that was really interesting and, and that was great actually because it was sort of a sign that I'd earned Nigel's respect a little bit which is a, as a reporter is what you want to do with anyone that you work with particularly a manager but no sort of my week is again this is all pre-covid of course but mm. my week is generally um I mean it depends on what games are happening so often there'll be a 23s game on a Monday night which we cover so I'll do a late shift on a Monday um I'll go into the stadium I'll I'll be doing research and then we'll do the game Tuesday might be just starting to get ahead with notes for the Saturday. Um, Wednesday, I probably spend doing that as well. There might be other bits and bobs to do. Um, Wednesday, we would generally record the Derby County show as well. So I'll be scripting that, working on features for that. Thursday would typically be our day at Moore Farm. I mean, we do have guys that are based at Moore Farm more regularly and they will film training sessions and bits and bobs. But Thursday would be at Moore Farm. So I'd do an interview uh, with the player, with the manager, either myself or, or Gibbo Wood. Um, and Friday I'd be off, Saturday's a match day. Um, but when I'm at Moore Farm, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in the media room, which is away from sort of everything else. And I think I actually think the space between us and the players is important. They need their space, they need their area. Um, I make a big thing out of the fact that I won't ever go into the dressing room when the players are in there, because that's their space, that's their sanctuary. That's how I felt when I worked covering the Nottingham Panthers as well. Um, guys I got to know really well and, and the kit man would often say oh just come in and, but I, I wouldn't do it I think it's a big thing Corey you'll know from like American sport about there are very set times that reporters are allowed in a locker room and then they're not and I sort of subscribe to that view um, I'm not a big one football access I, I don't think it's necessary but yeah but when I'm with you know people see me interview Philip Koku and I'll see a 10 minute interview and maybe think I see him all the time but I maybe only saw him for 20 minutes that day. You probably saw him for five minutes before and five minutes after. And that was probably it because he's got more important things to do than stand around and have a gossip with me, you know? So um, it's probably a bit of a misconception that we, you know, we are around all the time. I've probably spent more time talking to the players and the staff since lockdown um, than I have at any other point. Cause I've done a lot of stuff over zoom like this. And I think people have, people have just been desperate to talk to somebody different. So we've, we've maybe done a 10 minute interview with a player and then we've just chatted about anything for 10 minutes, um, which has actually been really nice. It's been a good opportunity to build, you know, build some relationships a bit. But I think it also might help you. Uh, oh, wait, I, I, I would imagine, right. If to give the players their space makes you as a commentator, a little bit more objective as well, because yeah, they they might be your friends and they might know you on a first name basis and see you around the place, but you're not like, so close to them that when you're doing a commentary, you're trying to gloss over a mistake or something like that, or trying to defend the player as well. It gives you that space to, to be objective as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I've never, I've never had it at Derby where a player's taken issue with anything that I've said. And, I, and actually, if, if anyone ever did, I'd, I would hope that they would come and say to me, I've got a problem with X, Y, Z. I would appreciate that sort of dialogue. I had one or two examples of that at the Panthers, um, which actually I didn't think the players involved handled all that well, um, especially one of them, which was like I, he signed he signed and 
I'd said something on the radio and he'd heard it secondhand and was annoyed about it. But he, but whoever, heard, it was sort of Chinese whispers because I'd said something and whoever heard it had completely missed the point and repeated it to him. So he thought I'd meant something when actually I'd said something else. And it wasn't until the final night of the season where he just sort of gave me a bit of an FU. When I was sort of like, hang on a second. And then someone explained it to me and it was like, well, that was never, and I sort of wish she'd have said to me right then at the start, I've got a problem with this because it would have been dealt with. But but even if it happened something, I, I would always rather someone just come to me and say, I'm not happy with that. Um, but yeah, I think maybe the space helps a little bit. But um, but you know, I think I think they understand that I've got a job to do. But I think also they they appreciate that I'm not. I will never be personal about anything with them. Um, I appreciate that they're giving their all, and they are. Um, and I don't like it when people say they're not. They are. Um, but it's like anything. I have bad commentaries. I have bad programs. I fluff lines all the time, um, and people get a laugh out of, laugh, laugh out of it. The, the team in the gallery love it when I get something wrong, and it happens. Trust me. Um, so I, you know, I appreciate the, the sort of the situation they're in. So you've mentioned the lockdown a couple times. Um, so what's what was the mood in and among the camp when you're when you're talking to the players during the lockdown? What was the mood like? I mean, I think that they've all been pretty good. They've, they've all been pretty positive about it all, to be honest. I think they're in the same boat as everybody else and that this is completely unknown. Um, no one's ever been through anything like this before. Um, they're just as frustrated. They're just as wound up about having to be in and not being able to go out and do stuff. They're, they're all just as sort of upset that they can't see friends and family. I mean, they're all people, you know. So they're all feeling the same things that we are. Um I haven't been at the training ground, but you know, from what I hear, everybody's come back uh, and looked at on it. So they've kept their discipline all the way through, which is great. And and actually, they've been brilliant with sort of the media demands. Um, Shay Given's been, you know, I've done pretty regular weekly like catch ups with him, and Shay's hilarious. Like it, that's been like a lot of fun for me to to talk to him regularly. But all the guys really, and and they've just they've just they've done some really nice little things like, and a couple of things that haven't gone out yet, like surprises and stuff like that. They've all, they've all been great. Like I can't I can't fault them really. Um, and I think like everybody else, they're just sort of ready to try and get back to normal. You know, assuming it's safe and the right thing to do. So one of the questions I've got, of course, over the last two or three years, we've had Derby have had their fair share of superstar appointments. Uh, I think yep. it's fair to say. Um, obviously, we see it from a fan's perspective. You you hear the rumours grumbling through the, the media. Obviously, may well be exactly the same for yourselves. You don't really know a lot. You possibly know a bit more than the fans do, but not so much. Um, all of a sudden, Frank Lampard turns up at Moore Farm. He's, he's agreed a deal. You're first in to interview him. It may well have been uh, Colin. Um, sorry, uh, Gibbo. Um, but, you know, from a, a press team, you're, you've gone from Gary Rowett, who is a good enough manager in his own right, but to seeing Frank Lampard rolling into Derby County, uh, and obviously the same with Rooney in January, um, does it take you aback a bit similar to certainly what it did me when it was first announced? Um, obviously, it got more and more. He was part of the furniture, might not be the right 
frame of mind, but you kind of forgot it was Frank Lampard of of the career that he had. He was the manager of Derby, not the player that Frank Lampard. You know the, the what it comes with. Is it was it the same for the media? I think I think for some members of the team more than others. Um, I mean, for me personally, like everybody, I have the same initial reaction, which is just like, oh my god, like, this is crazy, like crazy. Uh, and actually, I've been lucky ever since I started covering Derby with BBC Radio Derby that a lot of stuff's happened. Um, so it's been great stories for me as a broadcaster, as a reporter. Uh, and we've had some really interesting people come in. Um, you know, Nigel Clough was a fascinating guy, big baseball fan, Corey. Um, uh, and then Steve McLaren, former England manager, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, when you find out Frank Lampard's coming in, that's pretty crazy. Um, and when you do the first interview with him, uh, and I think the only one, it wasn't the only one to one he did, but the first interview with him, um, and you're doing it in front of an audience because Frank's got his team and all our guys are in there because they want to be part of it and the exec guys are in there because they want to make sure everything's right. So that's a bit nerve-wracking. Um, similar with Wayne. Um, and and it, it does sort of tip the balance a little bit because so often I'm sort of aware as an interviewer that, you know, I want to get the best out of this guy. I need to put them at ease. I need to make sure they're relaxed. I need to make sure that they can feel like they can open up. And actually, Frank, Wayne, Ashley Cole, um, actually thrown in some of the other guys actually the established guys Curtis Davis you know Tom Huddleston I mean they've done so much media they've done so much they they know this better than me really um, so that dynamic changes it a little bit but I, I've never really been one to get starstruck so it's it's not really affected me um, other pe- I think other people find it cooler than I do um, but I, I think if I didn't look at it as like being a job and be professional. I, I don't think I'll be doing it right. Um, but yeah, of course, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of like pinch yourself moments. And yeah, I know this is a job that a lot of people would love and I massively appreciate that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. It's pretty cool. I, I appreciate um, that this may well be a question you can't fully answer. Um, in terms of obviously over the last 12, 18 months, there's been some negativity, negative things happening, obviously with off the field antics. Um, how difficult is that for yourselves to, in the media to talk about? Obviously, the, I'm sure in all walks of, 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 of media, the club will be giving you what you can and can't say. And I, and I fully understand that. But from a bit of a person, more of a personal thing, when, when some news breaks like that to you and it's like you've got to, I suppose, keep a straight face in some ways and, and re, as you say, report on it uh, professionally, uh, how difficult do you find that? Well, obviously, it's, it's different now because I'm not, I'm not a news journalist, so I, I wouldn't be out trying to get all the details and all that sort of stuff. I don't have to do that stuff. I don't have to worry about that stuff. So that part of the, the equation doesn't come into it for me. Um, I mean... What can I say? Sometimes you just can't, we can't say anything legally. We, in the same way that any broadcaster can cannot say anything for whatever reason, we can't talk about it. You also have the extra layer of because though we are not a voice of the club, obviously we are part of the club. Yeah. So from a legal sense, from that point of view, we can't talk about 
thing. So that sort of takes the pressure's the wrong word, but that takes the onus off us. Um, and and yeah, so you know, there's not a lot I can say sometimes, um, and it's difficult. It, it only becomes difficult when what's happening is part of the story, but often you can allude to it uh, in certain ways to make sure that you're you're telling the story, but of, but obviously we don't go into details. So, Owen, let's talk about a story you can go into details about. What, what are come, some of the kind of stories that you can share from your time at the club on the inside that not necessarily we as fans would, would be privy to all the time? Oh, that's a tough one. It's tough, it's tough to sort of... It's tough when, answer, when asked a question like that to sort of put, just pull something off the top of your head. Um, what story? I'll, I'll, tell you, so I'll tell you a personal one. So I think a lot of people probably know... Um, the tradition of, and I don't think it's just Derby, uh, but I think it's a lot of clubs where when you're a new signing um, and when you go on your first away trip, you have to stand up and sing in front of the rest of the first team. So, um, you know, I've heard stories down the years and about what a nightmare this can be. So Frank's, Frank's summer, uh, when he just arrived, the pre-season trip was a week in Portugal. So, um, and, uh, and at this point, when they went over, there had been no new signing. So I went over with cameraman Jack and a, uh, one of the written boys, one of the website boys, Ollie. Ollie, massive Chelsea fan, idolises Frank Lampard. So we, um, we sort of thought that we may have to sing at some point. Um, and a couple of the players that we knew a little bit better, Craig Bryson in particular, would just drop it in every now and again. Like, are you ready for dinner? Ready for dinner sort of thing. So on the, I think it was the Thursday night, the whole team and we go as well, go out for this meal at a restaurant, um, which is full with other people in there. And all day they'd sort of been saying, tonight's the night you have to sing. But the thing was, we didn't know if, if the manager and his team were going to do it either. So eventually at the end of dinner, after like various different members of the squad every now and again piping up, it was like, okay, you're going to have to sing, boys. And Ollie was so nervous. I mean, he didn't eat, he didn't speak for the whole meal. He was so, so nervous. So, um, so Jack, who'd worked at a football club before and had done this before, Jack got up and did uh, the John Barnes rap. Nailed it fine. Um, I don't know if I went next or not, but I did a bit of Andy Williams and did okay. Um, and then Ollie got up and did, uh, I think he did a bit of Wonderwall, but it was so, he was so nervous. It was so quiet. Um, so we sang and then that was the end, that was the end of the meal. And like Frank and everybody, I think Frank patted Ollie on the shoulder and Ollie's probably not watched, not washed since. Um, but yeah, so, um, that was probably, that, that's the sort of fun little story I've got. Um, some of my favorite stories are actually a sort of like traveling with the media team and, and things like that. And oh, what else have I got? What can I think of off the top of my head? I'm struggling a little bit, really. I think, like I say, it's just because I think, I think people probably think I'm much more of an insider than I am sometimes. So I, I'm, I don't have probably the tales that, that, that people expect me to have. And, and especially now, like I, because I'm so based at the stadium all the time on match days, 
Um, I miss out on away trips and a lot of the best sort of stuff comes from, from those trips. And sadly, I just, I just don't do them anymore. So if, if anything springs to mind over the course of the next, what, 20 minutes, I'll just jump in and say it, but I'm, I'm struggling a little. <laughs> Do um, so obviously, as you say, you, you are a Derby County fan. Has there ever been a time when you've been watching a game uh, or anything like that? Your professionalism of commentary, um, you can feel it slipping ever so slightly because obviously, dependent on how passionate you get. I mean, I, I know I've, I sit, I'm, I'm in the South Stand, I know people who can sit throughout a game for 90 minutes and not really say a word. Then we've got other people, obviously, who are, uh, are voicing their opinion on a, on a regular interval. Um, have you ever found yourself close to not saying something you shouldn't, but getting probably um, a bit more emotional over something than possibly you should do? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. It... Probably to my detriment, I'm probably too in control sometimes. Um, I probably am not able to get carried away to a level that some of the best commentators do. Um, but I think I think having control is important. Um, and again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, the big difference between radio and television commentary. And I'm a little bit old school in my view of TV commentary, particularly in football. I feel differently in ice hockey because it's just a, a different nuance. But with, with, with football commentary on the television. When you're a commentator, it's about adding to the pictures, right? You can see what's happening. I, I'm there to add something. So I, I don't want to talk too much. Um, and, and, and I'm a bit more of a, if I can say one word, but it's the right word, I'd rather say that than shout and scream. Um, so I think for that reason, I probably never get to the point where I, where I lose control. Um, yeah, I think, I think probably the toughest moment I ever had was uh, when I was at Radio Derby and uh, Derby lost at Wembley under Steve McLaren because, but that was only because um, Ed, who was commentating at full time, basically couldn't carry on. Uh, The emotion got him because normally at full time, I'm sure you know if you've listened the commentators would chat for a little bit and wrap up before they handed to me. So I was down at the pitch side and basically on the full-time whistle, Ed hands to me. And I was just a bit like more taken aback that it comes so quickly. But when it's your job to talk, you just got to talk. Um, yeah. I, I will always say the toughest day in my broadcasting career. And I doubt it. I will ever have a tougher one. Uh, was the day that, that Colin Bloomfield died and we had to go on air at Millwall. Um, and I've told the story before. Um, but that will always that will always be the toughest day. Um, trying to trying to handle something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was probably the only day that I've ever lost con- ever lost control. But not not for quite for the reasons that you're talking about. And one of the things you've just pointed out to you there, sorry, Corey, to, to butt in. Oh, it was a question I was going to bring up. Actually, it was um, at Wembley, obviously. Um, yeah. Did you say you was part of the Radio Derby commentary team for the 2014 um, and obviously Rams TV for, for last season's failure. Um, what's, in terms of, obviously, I'm sure there's a, there's a routine when, when we're at Pride Park. What's it like from the media? Obviously, it's, I'm sure it's on a, a much grander scale when you're, going, when you're going to the home of English football. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it was pretty cool been pretty cool on both occasions actually because 
2014, we went down the day before and we went in the, in the day before. So you get to see Wembley when it's empty. Um, and that was, that was incredible. Just to sort of have a look around, this is your commentary position, blah, blah, blah. Sort of learn where you're allowed to go and where you need to be and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of passes and checks and just so much media, like so much media. Um, not as much of a circus as the United game recently. That was crazy at Pride Park for some reason. But, um, well, really, obviously. But, yeah. um, but, but this sort of, this time, more recently, uh, was even more fun. Because on, I think, the Wednesday, we went down to shoot a promo. Um, and that was so cool. Because there was like four of us, one, one lady from the EFL media team, and we just like walked around an empty Wembley and shot wherever we wanted to, really. And that was so cool. That, that was a proper, wow, we are lucky. In fact, I think I sat at the top of the stand with Adam, who's, who was our sound guy, who's now moved to Canada, bless him. Um, the top guy. And I think we were both just like, this is, like, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. And actually, as awful as it is, and it, it and is and was awful, to lose at Wembley and I've lost I sort of say I've lost three times there professionally because in 2014 Burton Albion lost as well yeah. and I commentated on that game for Odia Derby so I'm over three at Wembley um, sorry everyone um, but on the way back I mean we had such a good time doing like the Facebook lives on Wembley Way and then inside the stadium and so sort of 45 minutes before the game we're pitch side like looking at the Derby fans broadcasting and that's, it's so it is so so cool and in the car on the way back, there was Rob, who's boss of Rams TV, Rowan, uh, one of our, our guys, Shane, and me. And we'd stopped at the services and met loads of Derby fans who were just broken. Like, they were broken. And they were saying, oh, rubbish day, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah, that wasn't great. It wasn't great. And then we got back in the car and I said to the guys, I was like, I feel really, like, I feel really strange here. I feel like, I feel like there are two sides of me, like, pulling each other apart because... I'm I'm so crushingly disappointed, but at the same time, I feel like I've had a brilliant day out with my mates, and that we've done something so fulfilling, and done such a good job. But I ha- so I had like these two two sort of conflicting emotions pulling at me, and I know that will sound really strange to supporters, and I'm sure there might be some who who sort of go oh, you're not a real fan if you felt anything but, you know, crushing disappointment. But it's sort of hard to, it's sort of hard to, to explain a little bit. But, but yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was strange. That was weird. I think, to be honest with you, I was, I, I went to both. Um, I, Which yeah, one hurt more for you? Which one hurt more? The QPR one. Yeah, because of I, how it happened. Just because how it happened, yeah. I mean, we, let's face it, we, we... It's criminal. How, yeah, I mean, I know we were uh, a little bit off the top two at the time, but we were the best side. Uh, we destroyed Brighton, who I, th- I think were pretty much the f- one of the favourites in the playoffs, other than ourselves, in the yeah. form that we were in. And we just dispatched them so well, so comfortable. Let's face it, on the day against QPR, we I don't really yeah. ever remember us being in trouble in that game at all. Um, we were the better team. We were the better team. We probably didn't create as many chances as we should have done. Yeah, team and no, and then obviously with the red card as well, and it was like we were just waiting for it to happen. And I remember obviously the sending off was where the Derby fans were sat, 
And I mean, you can obviously never say no, you can never say this would happen, but um, you almost saw, I think it was Johnny Russell who broke through before Dunn brought him down. He Chances are he put that in the back of the net and it was like... I'll tell you a story about that. So, so the way it sort of works is they're re- they're really strict. To, obviously, they're really strict about who can go on the pitch. And stuff. So, um, the rule is that like BBC local radio get one reporter on the pitch at full time. One reporter. Um, but obviously, there was me. But there was also a report from Radio London um, covering QPR. So there was one bib, and it would go to whichever team went through, whichever team won. So when the red card happens, they gave me the bib and said, put the bib on because there's no way QPR are going to win. Like you're, mm. beat, you're battering them anyway. And now they're down to 10 men. Irony being, I think if QPR hang on that to 10 men, Derby probably would have won the game. But anyway, who knows? Mm. So I've got the bib on. Um, and then when they scored, obviously I ain't going on the pitch now. So the bib was essentially ripped off my body by whoever it was, the steward or whatever. And then, like, chucked over to the Q, to the, the QPR report, the Radio London reporter, which is why it was all sort of. I think, which is why I probably didn't get as emotional as maybe Ed did on commentary for us, because there was just so much going on at pitch side. Like, there was just this like whirlwind of activity around me. So I was just all just a bit in shock a little bit. But yeah, I just I just remember this bib. I just remember they handed me this bib, and I was like, oh my! It was almost like, oh my god! Everybody else thinks Derby's going to win as well. Like, oh my god! We're going to be in the Premier League next season. And then, yeah, they flipping ripped this bib off me. The thing you were saying there, um, I, I just remember that, that that particular day, and we drove down that morning, the bus yeah. broke down on the M1 near Luton. Um, so we had to, in the end, we got a taxi um, to the nearest tube station, and it was like an hour tube journey in. Yeah. Uh, we'd missed the tube that we were meant to catch. So when we changed, I think he was at Stratford, all the QPR fans were coming over from West London. It was just everything about the pre-game was a, a little bit of a rush. I don't think we got to Wembley till about half past two. And then obviously for the game to roll out how it did, it was crushing. And then right. obviously last year, we went down from Derby at like five in the morning, spent all day in Covent Garden, got over to Wembley in, perfect, in, in a, lot, a lot of time. And like you say, it was a good day out with, I think there's about 30 of us that went from our local supporters branch. Um, yeah. And it, even that, I, I think, even before the game, I think you had to look at it and go, this would take something extra special to beat that Villa side that were just on fire, in all fairness. Um, Even if we'd have won, I don't think I'd have believed it until after. Um, So I think it was a bit of a a case of, we tried to give them, obviously, a good go in the last 10, 15 minutes, but in the end, it wasn't quite enough. But, of course, from there, it was a, okay. well, then let's move on and build on on to next season. But then, of course, we know what happened there and... Obviously, that didn't quite. The transition changed. I mean, in fairness to Frank, I mean, the game plan. You sort of, the game plan sort of makes sense, and and maybe Derby went far off pulling it off. I'll just, I'll just say one more thing about about Wembley in about twenty fourteen, because I say an awful lot. Sort of, I don't think there's anything like, I don't think anything beats overtime in ice hockey. Like nothing beats overtime. I know they've had golden goal in football, but I don't think people quite approach it the same way. Overtime in ice hockey is incredible, especially in the playoffs, especially in the Stanley Cup finals. Um, I think that goal at Wembley, like a last-minute goal like that, is, is the closest feeling any football fan's ever going to get to understanding what overtime feels like, where 
it's next goal wins sort of thing. I know it technically wasn't Everton, but that's just, when I think about it now, when I watch hockey games and stuff, that's what it's like. It's like, it's like losing in overtime, which is just the, like the worst thing, the worst thing. So, Owen, I've got a, I've got a um, couple of fan questions for you if you're ready for that. Yeah, shoot. All right. So Jack Palmer on Twitter, he's at Jack Palmer 34. He wants to know which academy player you think has the most potential. I assume, I assume you're going to let me uh, include the guys that are sort of in the team, first team now, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one because, like, there's a lot, there's a lot to choose from now. Um, oh, that's, I hope, I hope <laughs> because the guys I don't pick. They're not going to pick up your Zoom calls if you say the wrong word. I've been banging his drum for so long. I've been banging Louis Sibley's drum for so long. I've got, I've probably got to go with Sibs. Um, because I just love him, but I love, but I love all of them. And actually, actually, the right answer is probably Max Bird because he's he's just like he's so mature, um, and he lives he lives and breathes it, but in a healthy way. Um, he works really hard. He's like had a lot of setbacks already. Um, like I, I think like Wayne Wayne has sort of talked him up big time as as being a sort of player who can play at the very highest level. And if it's good enough for Wayne Rooney, like good enough for me. But that's a bloody tough question. Like, really um, tough. And uh, at Jake ba- uh, Jake Barker, who's at Jake Barker twelve twelve, he wants to know what's your favorite scarf. Yeah, that's tough as well. I sort of moved. <laughs> I sort of moved away from scarves a little bit. Like I've got, I've got like, I've got maybe one or two. I've got like just like quite a plain grey one that is probably my go-to. Like hats as we were talking about earlier, hats are my biggest thing now. Um, I counted recently and I've probably got about 40 baseball caps um, and probably about 15, 20 sort of beanie or like cold, cold weather hats. Um, and I'm fully intending Adam, Adam in Canada, the former sound guy doesn't even know the shirt, but I'm fully intending to ask him to buy a bunch for me and ship them over. Cause you can't, yeah, maybe I'll ask you, Corey. Actually, now we're friends, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you just forty-seven brands. This is so geeky. Forty-seven brand. They don't ship in the UK. So if you want to buy direct from them, you've got to buy. You've got to buy them in America or Canada, and then send them over. Um, anyway, so yeah, in answer to the question, um, I only really have one or two scarves that I wear now, uh, and more about hats. Fair enough. So, oh, and just a couple couple more points for me before I turn it over to Jason is how do you relax away from football? And then where do you see yourself in 10 years? What's next for Owen Bradley after, after Rams TV? Uh, how do I relax? Um, the dog uh, keeps me sane. Uh, girlfriend as well. Um, really lucky to have Alice um, who actually just, just doesn't care for football at all, uh, which is, which is actually really useful because it just means I can switch off from it and I can talk about it like it's any other job. Um, so that's great. Um, and we love, we just love, like we're very fit. Well, she's very fit. I'm trying to get fitter. Um, so a lot of, a lot of fitness, a um, lot of long walks, that sort of stuff out in the na- out in nature, useful for the dog as well. We're both big on family. Um, my, I've got two little brothers, um, both of whom are moving 
to be much more local than they have been for a while. Uh, for one of them, that means coming back from Dubai after six years. So I can't wait to have him a little bit more local. Um, but Alice's family as well, who over in Warwick, she's got um, a nephew who's two and a half and, and nieces who are six months old. So we try and get over to see them as much as we can. Um, I read a lot of politics I mentioned earlier, but I'm into sort of a lot of like Malcolm Gladwell and that sort of stuff, reading wise. Um, I've just all sorts of stuff, really. I'm a bit of a nerd. I've watched a lot. Of, I've rewatched all the original Thunderbirds recently, um, and then I play. I play ball hockey as well. That's sort of the other big sporting passion. So that's essentially ice hockey in a sports hall with trainers on, but still with ice hockey, an ice hockey stick and gloves. So not field hockey. Um, it's not a very well known thing, but um, I'm very passionate about that. Um, so yeah, I do. I do plenty. I suppose um, theatres. You know, we're going to love love theatre. In terms of where I see myself. We honestly don't know. Um, five, ten, well, not ten years ago, but five years ago, I sort of had a career path plotted that was to climb the BBC and, you know, may, maybe be on BBC News or BBC Sport or whatever. Um, but I've gone in a different direction. Um, and I don't know how the sporting sports broadcast landscape is going to change, um, especially with COVID. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where that will take me. I don't know where Rams TV will evolve to be. I don't know if Derby get into the Premier League, that changes the ball game as well for us. So uh, the honest answer is I have, I have not got a clue. And one more thing from me, um, you know, we, I mentioned, you know, we, we corresponded an email about five or six years ago and, you know, I followed you through with a lot of interest and it's helped, it's helped me in what I do doing something very similar. So what would you say to a youngster who, wants to be the next Owen Bradley, what, what advice would you give them? Um, what advice would I give them? Be prepared, be prepared to have a thick skin. Um, because having like a social media presence, online presence is, is part of the job now. And I know that there have been times when I've sort of struggled with a lot of sort of criticism that's come my way. So if you can, if you can make sure that you go into it with that sort of mindset, um, then then that will help you. But the other thing I would say is, is be yourself. So yeah, I have influencers and people I look up to and, and broadcasters I admire, but I'll never try to imitate anyone. And I think that's stood me in pretty good stead. I think, I think a lot of the times I get demos and hear tapes and stuff. And I've, I feel like I'm just listening to someone who's watched the highlights on quest or who's watched super sunday commentary and he's just trying to parrot that and imitate that and i would much rather listen to somebody who's a little bit different and i hope i'm a little bit different um so that that would be my my advice thick skin and and sort of be yourself be true to yourself the final question um before we let you go in from me is uh, matters on the pitch if you sure. can sum up in the next 60 seconds where do you think Derby are heading in the next nine nine games if the restart happens and um, obviously moving into what will undoubtedly be a very different summer transfer period? Um, what what do you see for the next twelve months for the club? Well, I think they're in a, I think I think Derby are in a good spot because the economics of football are going to change drastically. But Derby have, have been trying to change for a couple of years now. Um, for the longest time, people have said, "Oh, what's the academy doing? What's the academy doing?" Now you're seeing what the academy is doing. There are academy players in the first team. There are a handful more who are ready to sort of be part of it and break through. And I think there are a few more behind that as well. 
So I think Derby will be okay in that regard, sort of short to medium to long term. Um, in terms of the, the, the final nine games, it's a tough running. Uh, I think everybody knows that Derby have got some tough fixtures. Um, but, you know, to be the best, you've got to beat the, beat the best, that sort of thing. So why not? Um, they've shown they can do it without Wayne and he, he's fit again. So even better. Um, why not be positive? Why why not why not feel why not why not have the attitude of yeah we can do it? Why why not feel that way? And if you don't and, and if we do fall short this season, that isn't the end of the world. Um, because it, it, the likes of Birdie, Louis Sibley, Jason Knight will all have had this exposure that will bode them well for next season. So I think I think on the pitch we're in a good place. I think just to round that up, I think to be perfectly honest with you, when you look at what's happened on and off the pitch in the last 12 months and what Phillips had to deal with, I think anywhere where we are at this moment in time is um, is pretty pretty a decent achievement in all fairness. Yeah, I'd completely echo that. I think he's a very good manager, very good appointment. Team around him are great. Good collection of guys in the dressing room. Lots of talent, lots of potential. Let's try to be, let's try to be positive about it. Let, let's try and feel like we can go on a journey together with this team and, and, and maybe if we get to the destination we want to go to, it will feel even better because we've sort of evolved together and not just thrown a bunch of guys together and, and sort of seen them go up. That, that, let's, be, let's be optimistic. Yeah. Well, Owen, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Corey, as always, thank you very much. Our time is Thanks. up on the podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you, Owen, for your time. Pleasure, boys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Enjoyed that. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Please remember to get in touch on the socials. On Twitter, we are at Rams Review one Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much and up the Rams.